This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. The problem with pain and trial and suffering in our lives is that often it leads way, it gives way to sin for us. Somehow it becomes this opportunity or this excuse to say, life's hard, I should go sin. And we rationalize it and we think somehow it's okay. And then we dive headlong into foolishness. And yet Jesus, in all of the temptation, in all of the trial, in all the pain, in all the difficulty, never sins once. Showing us that it is possible to not sin. But not in my own strength. When you're dealing with a lot in everyday life, it's nice to treat yourself because you think you've earned it. Today, though, Pastor Cody reminds us that when we turn to sin, that's not a treat. Sin will only make everything worse. Maybe not immediately, but the long-term consequences are never worth it. Sin may give you fleeting joy, but it never lasts. And when it's over, you're still dealing with everything that got you there in the first place. Instead, look to Christ, who offers incomprehensible peace. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of John chapter 19, as Pastor Cody continues his message, A Saying of Anguish. Jesus did not remove his deity in order to take on humanity. Do you get that? You grasp that idea that, that Jesus didn't have to lay aside his deity. He didn't cease to become God in order to become man. That there's nothing taken away from him in being born in that manger in Bethlehem. That, that his birth was not a subtraction. Also, it's not a division. Jesus isn't like a half man, half God kind of a thing going on here. He's not, this isn't Greek mythology of demigods, okay? That's not what this is. This is not that Jesus has some sort of partial deity and partial humanity. No, it's not that. This is, this is not subtraction. It's not division. This is an addition. It's an addition that Jesus added to his divinity, humanity. That Jesus took on something more. That there was a time when Jesus was never human, but that there's never been a time when he was not divine. Do you get that? That's important for us to grasp. We've got to get that straight. Because if we miss it, if we don't have it, if we don't, if we don't keep it straight like that, then we'll lean one way or the other, and then we'll, we'll put Jesus in a category that it doesn't belong. That he is God, and he is man. That when Jesus suffered on the cross, it was real human suffering. That he didn't save himself from it in his deity. That when Jesus was hungry, he was, he was hungry. That when Jesus wept, he wept the way that we weep. That when Jesus laughed, I know sometimes we don't see Jesus that way because we read in scripture he's a man of sorrows and then we think he's just, you know, an emo kid with black hair across his eyes or something and skinny pants. Like, we think Jesus, he was just sad all the time. Sad Jesus. No. Jesus was... Uh, he's filled with joy. And he loved to taste food. And he would hold children and he'd laugh with them. I think you can tell a lot about a man by the way that he treats kids. That's something I look for. How does a man interact with kids? I think Jesus, when he grabbed the, the child and he, he brought him in and said, guys, my disciples, my 12, if you want to be great, you got to be like a child. Now, what he wasn't saying was be childish. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that our faith needs to be like them. He said, 
don't forbid the children to come to me. And I see him saying that, not with a scowl, not with a scornful face, but with a smile, with rejoicing. That Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to take on our weaknesses and our frailty. He knows our joys and our sorrows. He's not some God of far off, distant, disconnected. No, he entered into your and my experience, taking flesh upon himself. There was a time when Jesus was not human, but there was never a time when he was not God. You see, this reality uniquely qualifies him to save us. Because he's God, therefore perfect. Therefore, his sacrifice is better than all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. That the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, that they had had to be sacrificed over and over and over and over. But Jesus is able to sacrifice himself once and for all. That his, sin, his, his sacrifice covers our sin, past, present, and future. That the stuff you don't even know you're going to do that's wrong tomorrow, Jesus already died for that. He already knew about it. He already knew what it was. You can't surprise him with your sin. He already knows. He knows how terrible you are. <laughs> and get this, he loves you anyway. <laughs> that's amazing to me. If it, if it was, I would have given up on me a long time ago if it was up to me. But Jesus does not. He does not. And his sacrifice is sufficient. You see, he's qualified uniquely being God and man to save. And so we also see here, not only that he knows, but it also, we see here that he says some things in order to fulfill scripture. See that there? Verse 28, that scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. In Matthew chapter five, verse 17, I'd invite you to write that down. Matthew five seventeen. There's a section there all the way to verse 20. I think it's important to read. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to accomplish their purpose. Uh, Jesus didn't abolish the law. He didn't abolish the Old Testament. It's not like, you know, the Old Testament is God's mess up and then he had to write a New Testament to to fix all the screw ups. That's not what took place. Right? That is is not sound proper theology. It's It's that Jesus fulfills all of that. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, what he says is that you have got to have your righteousness, your goodness, your holiness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. That's an impossible task. And in that day, the Pharisees were known as the guys who keep the law. They're the ones that are the only ones who can actually do this thing. They were lifted up. They were political and spiritual leaders. They were looked at as the ones who are the best among us. That's who the Pharisees were in that day. And so as Jesus says this, he says, your, you as the common people is who he's talking to, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. And they would feel the weight of impossibility. They would say, well, that's crazy. That's crazy talk, Jesus. They've been given over to the scriptures and to memorizing them and to obeying them for years, years beyond what I've even understood. How is that possible? Well, Jesus, what he was saying is that in my fulfillment of the law and my sacrifice, I'm able to impute or give my righteousness to you. That it's not about your ability to keep the law. It's about his ability to keep the law through you. 
We don't abandon the scriptures. We don't abandon the Old Testament and say it's archaic and old and for a different time. We say, I am now able to be right before God because of Jesus and his righteousness before me. You see, Jesus' stated purpose and carefully minded preoccupation is not to destroy the law, but to bring its fulfillment. And so these two verses, 28 and 29, they're actually two verses that are fulfillment of scripture. The two verses of fulfilling scripture of these two prophecies is uh, verse 28 is Psalm 22:15 That Jesus there is spoken of and prophesied of in Psalm 22. There's a lot of different verses about that. And it just describes with insane clarity, the crucifixion of Jesus. And in, in verse 15, it says, my tongue clings to my jaws and my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. That's what's said there in Psalm 22. And it's speaking of Jesus in this time when he would say, I thirst. Also, verse 28, and, and uh, this idea of sour wine is uh, fulfilled in uh, Psalm 69, uh, 21. That it says there that they gave him vinegar to drink. And earlier it says that they gave him uh, gall to drink, which was fulfilled in Matthew. Um, we see that that took place, Matthew 27, 34. That this, this drink that Jesus takes here, he, he receives it. It says that he received that. See that in verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he actually takes this. Previously, in Matthew 27, Jesus was given a different drink and he rejected it. He tasted it, he knew what it was, and he spit it out. And the reason is because this was wine mixed with gall. And what that would be, it's like this uh, narcotic, essentially. Uh, in that day, they didn't have stuff like morphine, right? And so if you go to the hospital, and you're experiencing extreme pain, you, you know, they load you up and you're like, keep that coming. Yeah, let it roll. Um, that's, that's how we would be. Jesus is given this narcotic, this painkiller, essentially. And it was one of the things that they would do as, a, as a, an act of mercy to people going to the cross. They would give them this. And Jesus tasted it. He knew what it was and he spit it out because he took the cross full strength. He didn't dilute it. He didn't take an easy road out. He took the, the difficult path, the hard path. And as Jesus took this hard path, he does so in not diluting his senses at all. He takes the cross full strength. But this, this here in, in uh, John chapter 19 is this vinegar wine, and it's a common drink of the day. This is just something that they would have around, that they would take their water, they would dilute it with some vinegar wine, and in doing so, it was a, a water purification system. You know, they didn't have pure filter systems that they would screw under their water taps. Uh, and, and so they had to purify their water somehow. And this is part of how they did that. Also, this would be something, this idea of wine is, is a way of medicine of the day. Do you remember in first Timothy chapter uh, five, verse 23, when Paul says to Timothy, Hey, don't just drink water, drink a little wine as well. What he's not saying is, Hey, pastors go out and, and have some alcohol. What he's saying is this is a, a, a medicine sin. That it's okay to take some medicine. They didn't have NyQuil, okay? They didn't have ibuprofen. And so in order for Timothy, because of his infirmity, he was being instructed, take some medicine, bro. Like, it's okay. That God has given us doctors, and it's okay for you to take medicine. And you've got to be, obviously, mindful and careful about the kind of medicine that you take. You don't just go to the doctor and he writes a prescription. You're like, hey, the doctor wrote it. I'm just going to take as much of this as I can. No, it's not that. It's that I'm, I'm being uh, wise about using the resources that God has given to me. 
You see, they didn't have a way to purify water. They didn't have the kind of medicine that we have today. And so, I mean, just today, this, this morning, I took uh, some Sudafed, some ibuprofen, because I wanted to make sure that I was good to go and not draining out of my face. And that wouldn't be good for any of you. And so I, I took some medicine. Same thing that's going on there. It's not a, a pass to say, hey, just go drink some alcohol and, and whatnot. Uh, it, it's not what he's saying there. And so we see that this, this vinegar wine is being offered. It's, it was probably, by the description, it was probably there as a resource for the people who were being crucified. I mean, they had a stick, they had a sponge. It wasn't that they were just grabbing something uh, and, and putting together this makeshift components, that it was, it was something they were prepared for. That as they were there on the cross being crucified, that they were ready for it. Now, secondly, not only do we see the mission is accomplished, but I want to focus for a minute on the thirst of Jesus. Notice there are just two simple words here for us. Jesus says, I thirst. Jesus declares his thirst, but the question's got to be asked, what is Jesus thirsty for? What is Jesus saying? What's taking place here? You see, this thirst confronts us with the humanity of Jesus, that he entered fully into our humanity with all of our weaknesses, with all of our frailty, that he experienced thirst the same way that we do. That there's something of, of Jesus taking upon himself what we take upon ourselves. The only part of our humanity that Jesus did not take was our fallen nature. This is why 1 Corinthians 15.45 calls Jesus the second Adam. The second Adam. Adam, Genesis chapter 3, uh, well, chapter 1 and 2. Adam was the only one and Jesus to come into this world without a sin nature. Adam had no sin nature. And then sin overtook him. Since then, all of us has, have been born into sin. And theologians would say that you gain your sin nature from your dad. Say, thanks, dad. And the reason they say this is because Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. He's not given a sin nature. Well, how is that possible? Because he's human. Therefore, Mary gave birth to him. But uh, part of what you contribute, dad, is a sinful nature. Here you go, kids. Uh, so all of that problem in your household, it's your fault, bro. <laughs> Jesus did not have a human father. He, he was divine. And so because of that, he has no sin nature. First Corinthians 15, 45 calls him that. Now in that, I think it's important for us to grasp this idea that Jesus identifies with us. So turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Hebrews 4, 14. I want to read a, a few verses here, just three verses. I want to read it, but I want you to see it with your own eyes. And, and something that's really important for us to grasp here about Jesus is that he identifies with you, that there's nothing in your life that you can say, Jesus doesn't get it. He's disconnected somehow. I know Jesus knows what it's like, but he doesn't know what this is like. That's not true. Hebrews 4, 14 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, that, that high priest is in reference to Jesus. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, the word therefore says, connect these ideas. That Jesus was tempted in every way, the same way that you are. 
Because of that information, because of that understanding, here's what we do. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That here we see that that Jesus knows every temptation. He knows every trial. He knows every difficulty that you face. There is not a single thing in all of your humanity that you could ever experience that Jesus does not understand. And he knows all of it. Whatever pain that it is, whatever difficulty that it is, whatever trial it is, whatever rejection you've suffered, Whatever you've lost, Jesus knows it. He knows all about it, intimately, personally. And the problem with pain and trial and suffering in our lives is that often it leads way, it gives way to sin for us. Somehow it becomes this opportunity or this excuse to say, life's hard, I should go sin. And we rationalize it and we think somehow it's okay. And then we dive headlong into foolishness. And yet Jesus, in all of the temptation, in all of the trial, in all the pain, in all the difficulty, never sins once. Showing us that it is possible to not sin. But not in my own strength. Not in my own strength. Because notice it says there in verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of what? In time of need. In time of need. When do you have the greatest need? I would say in the moment of temptation. The moment of temptation is when you have the greatest need. And if Jesus was able to overcome every temptation you've ever faced, every one, then he's also able to be the one who supplies the grace to allow you to go through it as well. Go to the throne of grace. Stop trying on your own. You're not strong enough to defeat your sin nature. You're not. You ever try that? And then you end up in sin again? Or you try so hard on this side, you fall off on that side? It's not up to us to do it on our own or pull ourselves up. It's up to us to yield to Jesus and allow his grace to find home in our lives. You see, if Jesus experienced human frailty and still defeated sin, then my hope is in his strength to do the same within me. There are some trials and pains and difficulty that are, that are hard. They're hard for us to go through. In Revelation, we have a picture of Jesus and he's described a certain way. And I think it's, an amazing thing that's said of Jesus. There are a number of descriptions of him, but in Revelation 1.15, we see this. It says that his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. That Jesus' feet are like, are like brass, as if refined in a furnace. That there's this word picture of, of this refining, this fire that has come upon the, the feet of Jesus. That though Jesus may not take your fire from you, He will walk through it with you. That he identifies with your pain. That he enters into it with you. In the book of Daniel, we find these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are their Hebrew names. And they would not bow down to to the false god, and they were thrown in a furnace. And as Nebuchadnezzar looks and he sees sees in the furnace, he says, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? How come I see four? And one of them looks like the son of God that he sees in there that the fire in the fire of the trial and the difficulty that that's where Jesus shows up and walks through it with these men. You've not been abandoned to your pain. You've not been forsaken in your difficulty. It may feel like that. It may seem as such, 
But Jesus does not abandon you in that. He walks through it with you. He's there in the middle of it all. Go back to John with me, if you would. John 19. Jesus in his thirst, it says, he cries out in thirst. I think it's important that of, of all his physical sufferings, this is the only one we have record of Jesus complaining about. Have you thought about that? I, I'd never thought about that before. When Jesus was, well, there was a, a, a bag put over his head and they punched him in the face and said, prophesy, who hit you? He didn't complain about that. He didn't say, oh, why punch me? Oh, my face. When they pulled his beard out, he didn't say, oh, my beard. When they took that, that scourge and they, they whipped his back and his flesh was torn from his back, he didn't say, oh, my back. When the crown of thorns was shoved into his scalp, he didn't say, oh, my head. But now, here, after enduring all of that, the one thing he cries about physically is his, is his thirst. Jesus wants a drink? Uh, what, what's going on here? What's taking place here? There's something deeper being represented than just a physical thirst. I would submit to you that it's not just a physical thing that Jesus is experiencing, but a spiritual reality is being described by physical representation. That we get physical stuff, right? You get physical things. You know what it is to hurt. You know what it is to thirst. You know what it is to hunger. And so when, when he borrows these physical ideas and attaches a spiritual concept to it, it gives us a handle. It gives us something to hold on to. That sometimes things are weighty and they're difficult to grasp. It's, it's like if you've ever had the handle break on your luggage, it becomes terrible to try to figure out what to do with. Like, how do you pick this thing up exactly? The handle is really important. You've got to have the handle. And so Jesus gives us a handle, something we can grab onto, something we can grasp. And he says, I thirst. And yes, I believe it's a physical thirst. I mean, think of Jesus. He's endured the cross. He's now been tortured and beaten and crucified for six hours, somewhere around there. And of all of the time he has spent carrying the cross through the street and sweating and blood loss, I'd imagine he's probably pretty thirsty. I think that's safe to say. But he's saying something else as well. There's a spiritual thing taking place as well. There's a spiritual reality that we've got to get in all of this, that we've got to, we can easily understand the idea of thirst and this, this idea that it represents something else. I mean, you know what it is, the thirst for knowledge, right? You know what, you know what that is. That's not too hard to grasp or too hard to understand that, that you have this thirst for knowledge. And how do you satisfy that thirst? But by thinking and by reading and by discussing and by hearing and by listening and by writing. And then in all of this, Jesus is calling us into something else. He's saying that there's a spiritual thirst as well. And I think that it's important for us to grasp this because we need to drink deeply of Jesus. Think about your week this, this week. How thirsty were you for Jesus this week? Think, just think on that for a minute. How many times did you go to Jesus? Sadly for myself, I think it's far too little. How many times did I go to his word? How many times did I go to him in prayer? How many times did I take that problem that, was, that came across my life and actually ask him what he thought about it? Or did I just try to figure it out on my own? I think it's important for us to do this, that as we drink of Jesus, that we talk to him, we talk about him, we listen to him, we listen about him, we read his word, we think about him. To thirst is a physical representation of a deep longing. That's what a thirst is. It's a deep longing that needs to be satisfied, needs to be satiated. This cry of Jesus is the culmination of 
of the last, not only just the last three hours, Jesus was hanging in darkness. It's finally over and he's thirsty. Uh, I don't believe it's even the culmination of just the last six hours that Jesus has been on the cross and been going through the scourging and crucifixion. But, but I would say that Jesus in this thirst is a culmination of the last 30 plus years. That Jesus stepping into humanity, that in doing so, at his birth, it was a step of separation for him. That yes, on the cross, there was a distinctly different separation that Jesus experienced. But in that, when Jesus stepped into humanity, there was a separation from, from the Father. Uh, in John seventeen five, Jesus says this, as he's praying, he says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Do you see the separation there? Do you see how there's something that he gave up in order to enter into humanity? He didn't give up his deity, but there's a part of him that was, that was distinctly separated, this mysterious ability for him to be separated from the Father in this way. You've been listening to Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in for today's study. There's much more to learn from the series called Seven Last Sayings of Jesus. We encourage you to tune in again. In addition to that, why don't you subscribe to our podcast? That way you'll not miss an edition and you can even leave a comment. If you're enjoying these messages, you can learn more about Redemption Radio and Pastor Cody by visiting our website at redemptioncalvary.org. There you can explore other teachings from Pastor Cody's verse-by-verse studies and find out how you can join us for worship this weekend. Redemption Calvary gathers every Sunday to connect with God and each other. We'd love to see you. You'll be able to find service times, directions, and all the information you need at redemptioncalvary.org. We're also live streaming on YouTube and Facebook if you're unable to be with us in person. If you have any questions, feel free to give us a call at 720-466-5358. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you too. Again, that's 720-466-5358. Our time with you today has come to a close. But be sure to catch Pastor Cody's message next time. We're excited for you to have the opportunity to hear what God wants to speak to you. Here on Redemption Radio.